Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Atypical Behavior Analyst. We have a fantastic talk for you today. But before we begin, let's go over some quick housekeeping. First, we are ACE-approved, so if you're listening for continuing education units, pay attention to the two keywords interspersed during the talk, and then take those over to our website where you can purchase CEUs. There's also a direct link in our show notes. And speaking of our website, you can locate us at atypicalba.com. There you'll find additional resources for each of the episodes and more information about our guests. Next, if you'd like to stay up to date with upcoming talks and live events, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Lastly, stay tuned to the end for a sneak peek, um, I guess, sneak listen to episode 23. And now, what you've all been waiting for. The applications of behavior analysis aren't quite limitless, but it sure can feel like it. In this episode, we meet with Dr. Nick Green to further our discussion about how behavior analysis can be applied to athletes, employees, and others who can benefit from movement, fitness, and overall better health choices, which pretty much sounds like all of us. He discusses the importance of listening to your clients, goal setting, and data collection. Behavior analysis provides this unique lens in which we can work with people of all types to improve daily habits. So grab your towel, make sure you're hydrated, and tune your earbuds for episode 22, Exercise, Movement, and Improving Client Health with ABA, featuring Dr. Nick Green. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Atypical Behavior Analyst. I am your host, Kelly, and I am joined today by a special guest, Dr. Nick Green, who is the founder of Behavior Fit. Um, and I had to throw the doctor in there because as we were just chatting, it always makes right. people somewhat a little uncomfortable. So hello, Nick. Um, welcome Hi. to welcome to the episode and welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, the whole doctor thing, just a representation that I went to school and studied a thing for a long time. They gave me a different size certificate than everybody else. So um, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Fab. You know, in other countries, they give you swords and cool hats. Is really? This, oh, yes. I believe it's like one of the Nordic countries that will give you a sword when you get your PhD, which is super rad. Hmm. Yeah. I think I like we should that. adopt this. Yeah. I would, I would do a PhD for a sword. I don't need a bigger piece of paper. So, yeah. but, um, so you are the founder of behavior fit and I have yeah. been following you for a few years now, and it's been really cool to kind of see how your company has developed. Um, mm -hmm. but before we jump into that, I would love for you to give your story and sure. how you fell into behavior analysis, what your journeys looked like and what got you to where you are now. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I fell right into it. I was just stepped off the curb and landed right in a big pile of behavior analysis. Right. <laughs> uh, no. So we are recording. This is the end of 21, but I started, I got my first job as a therapist. We didn't have RBTs back then. That was 2009. I started. So I was counting on my fingers the other day. Cause you know, year, year math is hard. Um, so I think I'd be entering my 13th year being in the field. So I worked for a couple of years with, uh, you know, uh, youth and uh, older kids, young adults on the spectrum, uh, special needs, right? So I did that for about three and a half, four years. And then along the way, I had a bunch of colleagues that I work with that um, were part of the Florida Tech online program that was just uh, uh, gaining, uh, you know, gain, uh, just growing at the time. And this is like early early 2010, right? So still early in that program's development. But uh, yeah, I found out about this whole science part of things. So I was like, oh, what is what is the field about? And then somebody told me about uh, uh, organizational behavior management, and they had a program there. So I took a leap of faith. Uh, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, um, she took uh, yeah, 
placed their faith in me. So we live, we live, we're from Indiana. So we moved to Florida and I got uh, my master's degree in organizational behavior management. And I enjoyed the business application uh, of the science. And then along the way, I became really interested, you know, personally, professionally, research-wise and um, health and fitness and physical activity. So my research interest and became reducing sitting in the workplace. So um, context here is beautiful timing uh, that uh, uh, we've been in the pandemic. So a lot of people have been very sedentary, even more so in the past year and a half, two years. And I was preaching, you know, if you saw me down at Faba or Haba or whichever Abba I was at, like I've been talking about how sitting's bad for you, right? It, just public health announcement, you got to even if you exercise, you need to move a little bit more out there. So just stand, move as much as you can. Um, but uh, yes, now we have all the data and the reports to show the pandemic sitting bad. So anyway, research interest uh, took me to the opportunity of getting a PhD at the University of Florida in Gainesville, graduated there in 2019. Um, then I moved back home and I work primarily um, as a business analyst, um, talk about big data, helping companies um, leverage important insights for, you know, clinical outcomes and analyses. And so um, along the way, I've been, uh, yeah, just started Behavior Fit when I was uh, started the PhD program. So just shared my love and passion for the science applied to health and fitness. And here we are. That's excellent. Um, I also find it inspiring that you decided to take on doing Behavior Fit at the same time as your PhD, because most people will be like, mm -hmm. only focused on the PhD. So was that yeah. just like a nice little mental break for you? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. It was like a fun discovery process of like sharing, like I have some knowledge. I think it can be shared. What's a good format to do that? I always wanted like a website and some type of, uh, I wasn't really big into social media or anything personally, but I was like, I wonder what would happen, right? You don't know unless you try, like what would happen if I started writing a blog and saying, I'm interested in this. And um, early on, you know, you know, this would have been six, seven years ago now. And then people said, oh, come talk about this on my podcast. And, um, you know, I've done a bunch of interviews and been invited to speak different places and gotten better at my craft and all that. So yes, I kind of took a little bit of a, it was, it was a good mental break from the, re from the research side of it. But at the same time, it's like, um, had I not done that, maybe I could have gotten more articles published. But then of course we talk about what are the competing contingencies? What are the more meaningful outcomes? And when you start a business and you're out there and you can kind of produce your own results, that's not controlled by journal editors, right? If you can kind of control your own fate, so to speak, nothing against journal editors, which is, you know, there's a long, the schedule is way longer. It's just like, well, I kind of liked the here and now helping people in the short term. So here we go. We started yeah. a podcast. So there, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Dissemination and technology um, really go hand in hand. And it's um, as a kiddo and product of like the nineties, I loved, I loved the internet when it came around. I had such a love hate relationship because mm -hmm. so much information and then also so much information. Um, and so it's been yeah. interesting to see how even in the last, you know, 15 years, the technology yeah. has changed and how our field has been able to incorporate it with things like AAC devices, taking data. Um, mm -hmm. I know one of the things you want to talk about today is the use of telehealth. 
Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about it in a previous episode using telehealth with individual disabilities, parent training, yeah. caregiver training. Um, sure. But yeah, I mean, we can, if we want to go ahead and jump into that, or actually before we sure. get to the telehealth side, talk about what you do with behavior, um, behavior fit. Sure. Yeah. So I think it's a good segue. So I create a lot of, you know, content and information just related to like, how, how does the science apply to like health and fitness? So if you want to visit any of my, my platforms, I most, you know, have my website, behaviorfit.com, Instagram's most active and I create that's, that's really like the experimental playground to see what, what people like and are interested in. So I focus that there. Um, and then, uh, I have some courses as well. So if you want to learn a little bit of what I do, you can check those out. Um, but uh, largely what it would kind of boil down to now is that I, you know, help people change their health and fitness behaviors. We're using a, applied behavior analysis. So uh, with that, I was uh, oftentimes in presentations, I'll, I'll say I was doing telehealth before telehealth was cool. So um, again, it was, it was for me to decide a format that I could maintain as a PhD student as I was get, getting interest in improving my experience and expertise um, and coaching savviness, if you will, you know, working with people. So um, yeah, so primarily I work with typically developing adults. Um, and so they say, Hey, Nick, I want to get going. I need to fix whatever I need to uh, lose weight. What are we going to do? I say, okay, we're going to follow this process. I have a whole, you know, uh, onboarding process that I follow, but at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's, it's the general principles of gathering indirect, direct assessment data, meeting face-to-face face-to-face virtually. Um, so again, I, I carried that whole telehealth model through PhD program, through moving back home to Indiana to now we're in the pandemic, but the telehealth model, it works well. And what happens is people have the same barriers, if not more barriers, because we're in the pandemic. So they need a little more help and coaching to try to just figure out what am I going to do this week? What's, what's happening with, uh, oh gosh, uh, I coached a lot of people during that initial shutdown of the world in 2020. So, um, right. What happens when the gym is shut down? What happens in the parks are closed? I'm not allowed to leave right at the house. So we have all those variables that kind of go on on a tangent here, but I help people navigate all those barriers, collecting data, stay, staying true to the science and, um, meeting on a regular basis to help to, to make sure that we're making good database decisions. So where did you see it? Well, I, I guess kind of going into it, um, you mentioned a little bit with the difference before and after, but with all of these restrictions, um, I have a feeling there had to have been some mood and maybe some anxiety, other contingencies, these, these uh, private events, if you will, mm-hmm. that you that you were also working with. Um, did you see that affecting your sessions at all through telehealth or was it or was like a difference between pre and post pandemic. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, when was post pandemic? Just kidding. Sorry, not post pandemic. <laughs> I think it's still the winding, the winding, prolonging of the pandemic. I, I I made a similar joke before somewhere. I'm like, we're kind of in the end of whatever it is that we're going through. Um, but getting back to the private events, yeah, it's one thing I think about too as a coach. I. I try to emphasize this when uh, working with just describing what I do to others is that you have to check your own biases about whatever it is that you have a view or opinion on. So for example, if I'm somebody that is pro vaccination, 
I can't let that. It's not my job to let that bleed over into the coaching session. If I'm anti-vaccination, I can't let that bleed over into the, right? The, my client, they're free to choose whatever they want to do, right? I'm, I'm in the business of helping them choose and meet whatever interesting behavioral contingencies help them with their goals, right? So my job through all of this is not to judge or sway them, but I always have to check my own biases because that's super important. Um, so as it relates to how people are feeling, I have to be cognizant, right? Loosely speaking of what people's preferences are related to engaging in health and fitness behaviors in the context of a pandemic. So what I mean by that is some people uh, may have gotten vaccinated, have no premonition about going into public, going a mask, going out to eat. So now those variables uh, kind of feed into what my recommendation could be for whatever fitness goal, right? So if I know somebody that is very hesitant about going into public or um, is, has anxiety about being around other people, then I know to maintain high compliance and to make sure that they are content with, you know, one, my services, right? I'm in the business of, you know, keeping clients too. Like, I don't want to just totally turn them off that I need to then shift my recommendations and figure out my, my problem solving is going to go a different direction, right? It's to say it bluntly, it's like, if you're scared of being in public and you don't want to be around people and get sick, I'm not going to tell you to go to the gym, right? We're going to figure out, okay, what can you do at home? What skills do you have that you can do at home? Do you have equipment at home? And we just start troubleshooting that way. Um, and then you have to you know, also be sensitive to uh, other people will uh, experience um, loss or sickness or, you know, tragedy or, or sudden um, sudden disruptions in their work schedules, life schedules. I was working with somebody early in the mid pandemic. She was based out of the United Kingdom in London, and she was traveling to Eastern Europe. And there was a whole set of like month because of international travel. And that was a, a hectic time for everybody that it was hard to navigate and monitor like the likelihood of her meeting her goals because right there's all these variables the pandemic just produced more variables and barriers to to overcome so i think i answered your question in there somewhere oh you did beautifully it was perfect um oh, thank you i i really there was a couple of things in there that i i kind of want to break down um one is understanding that, you know, we do have to check our, our biases um, because we all have yeah. different beliefs, different histories, different experiences and so forth. Um, and reminding ourselves that while those are very, they're, they're variables with our clients. So being compassionate and listening to what yeah. it is they're saying and what they're not saying, that kind of covert language, um, the subtleties mm -hmm. that come with being a human and having a sophisticated verbal repertoire um, mm -hmm. and being able to accommodate. And like you said, troubleshoot, it should be a mutual understanding mm -hmm. of like, these are the goals that you're trying to meet. Here are some options, which one of these looks good to you. Okay. Let's, let's try it and see what happens. So I really dig that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about was like how that impacts the way that you guys set your goals and the way that you set the mm -hmm. programs up. So, um, 
I know for probably a lot of our listeners and for a lot of us, our histories come from working in special needs, um, working Mm -hmm. with learners with disabilities. So we're usually focused, not focused, we're used to going to the VBMAP assessment or essentials for living and grabbing goals and creating goals based on those things. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't often, you know, sit down with little Jimmy and say, little Jimmy, we're going to be working on X, Y, and Z, or what do you want to work on today? We might do some Mm -hmm. of that. But yeah. I mean, you have neurotypical learners. Um, so what yeah. does your process look like as you're doing your onboarding and starting to consider the program and your goals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, uh, pretty basic. But um, yeah, in general, just with my background and my research in the health space, right, you become familiar with uh, the general health recommendations and the different areas that I want to practice. So I talk about that in one of my, my first courses. So uh, it, it, if you want to be an expert in physical activity and exercise, you should probably know the minimum standards when it comes to what's recommended by, um, you know, the, the heart association, the CDC, right. They're, they're all, they're all the same recommendations because they all work together and they're all government agencies. So, um, right. So you have to be, be fluent to understand, like, here's the, here is the general, here's the minimum floor that, that we all should meet based on general health risk outcomes, right? And so that is a, a piece that is almost just assumed and a given in a way that's like, hey, if you've navigated to my website, sought me out, gone through these other high effort steps, is filling out a form, meeting with me online to figure out if this is going to work, like you probably want to meet at least the minimum standards, if not more. So um, so I have that. So that's just that's just a skill, a tool that everybody needs to have, right? Depending on what your space is, like just if you're working in a, a school or a special ed setting, like you know which assessments and recommendations you're going to pull from. So you start there, and then really, it's I can I have the convenience and luxury of saying, "What do you want to work on?" Okay, that's it. That's the open-ended question, and I work with very smart, intelligent, bright, wonderful people. They say. I want to learn how to back squat. I want to learn how to, I know I need to move, but I don't know how to get that going. I, I need to be more consistent. Um, one, one client that I'm thinking on now is like, okay, great. What it's just always the next question. What does consistency look like for you? All right. And this is part of like the earlier steps. Okay. Imagine six months from now, what is, what does consistent, um, what is consistent Kelly Look like that's a nice alliteration there. Uh, consistent Kelly, right? It could be, could be five days a week, could be three days a week. So you need to know, right? What? Okay, three days. How how many days are you working out now? Zero. Okay, what are you doing? What would you like to do? Then you start getting into preferences and availability of of activities and things like that. So, um, yeah, the the one individual she wanted to be uh, consistent. She historically would start and stop. She'd like do something for a couple months stop for a couple months. And that's, that was her trend for the past three or four years. And so I said, okay, well, let's figure out what we need to do. And so, um, we actually navigated through, she was doing things at home, but then that wasn't meeting her goals. And so then she thought she wanted to join a gym. So then she actually sampled a bunch of different locations for about two weeks. And then she finally settled on one gym and then we went there and, you know, along the way I was coaching her through like, what did you like? What didn't you like? What's the barrier too far away, too much traffic. She lived in California. So you have all those California variables too. You're in a County that requires a mask. This one doesn't again, getting back to the pandemic variables that um, uh, starting with just, you know, again, the, the basic assessment of 
what do you want to do? How do we get there? And um, uh, just focusing on the environment as opposed to, you know, the mentalisms or labels of like, well, why don't you get motivated and just get out of bed and go do it? Like that doesn't, that doesn't get, that doesn't get you anywhere. So um, that's kind of my general process. And I oh. hope I gave some, some examples there. Oh yeah. Um, it's similar with, uh, with like mental health. Well, you know, just feel better. You know, why are you anxious? No, no, no. There's yeah. a whole process that has to go with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can make it really complicated um, because I know when I sit down to, you know, either program a workout for myself, I can get really, you know, detail oriented where it's like, oh, well, I want to do this, 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 and this, but I like your way of getting their general, what do you want to work on? You know, let's pull a few mm-hmm. things and see what's achievable and what's not. So how many yeah. um, goals do you guys typically set when you're working with clients? Yeah. It, uh... My blanket statement is, is, is as many that you can manage and be uh, on top of making the correct decisions. So, but for me, it seems like really only maintaining the three to four goals at a time, if that is really all I work on. Because as we kind of talked before we went live here, is that my job as a behavior analyst is to make an informed database decision. And there's a lot of time that goes into managing the data and looking at trends and looking at graphs to make sure that we are. Um, on the right track. Um, and if you have too many goals, you just don't have enough time to look at it. And there's, you know, when you're meeting with people only for half an hour a week, it's, uh, it, it goes by really fast. So it's like, if you add in one more goal, you have to review. That's another, you know, six minutes of conversation. I'm kind of getting to the whole process here against my, my OBM side coming out. It's like, it just doesn't work. Right. So, um, and then if a goal is too easy, then you met it and moving on. So, you know, that's kind of the art, art and science of, uh, selecting goals and everything. Um, uh, so yeah, about, let's say two to four. So I guess I can see it from both sides too, of, I would be one that would come in and say like, I want to do 10 things. Um, and then other side of me would have to be like, no, um, because as your fitness coach person, I'm only going to track two of them. So calm it down. We can lock them for later. We can come back to them. Yeah. yeah. You can have a whole list of 10, but we saw like, before we get the goal 10, you still have to meet the first two. So, and especially, and, and the goals need to be aligned as well. Cause you could have like, I want to climb Mount Everest. I want to run a 5k. I want to do this. I'm like, well, show me that you can meet these really basic, easy ones first. And then we can start, then we so, can start chipping away at the mountain. Yeah. You have, you have to have that foundation first before you can mm-hmm. ever um, build on it. And that's why going back to the assessments and everything, you know, the basic movements, making sure the squat form is correct, your push up mm-hmm. form and make, and yeah. if the body is aligned, then the body is good and it will do good things for you. But if you, if you're yeah. off a little bit um, as a person mm-hmm. who's chronically injured at this point, yeah, good form is important. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, so it's like a simple assessment, ask them what they want to do, and then you take some basic data. But then the hard thing here's here's the magic trick, which isn't magic. You just have to repeat the simple things over and over again. So it's not it's like like there's no uh, there's no it's not an amazing thing that's happening every time I meet uh, meet my meet with my clients. It's it's rather boring in a sense that you're just doing the same thing, going over goals, looking at data. But the exciting part is when you do, when you set goals the right way, um, the clients come in contact with the natural contingencies of, of working out and things like that. But that's really where um, the progress really starts to take off. Love it. Um, so you've mentioned 
your OBM background and looking at data in different ways. And before we started recording, you showed mm-hmm. me a little bit of what that looks like. And I would love for you to talk about this because it seems like this is your your bigger project right now that you've been mm-hmm. working on. Yeah. So what I found just in my experience is that, so essentially for me, I needed to become more efficient with my graphing and analysis because I was kind of in the dark ages of was working with a couple of clients and I found I was spending so much time outside of session, you know, outside of our appointments, looking at data, adding, subtracting, doing all that. You know, I'm working by myself. I don't have a specific app. I know there's a lot of kind of ABA-esque apps out there, but, you know, it doesn't really meet my needs. And, you know, there's kind of the whole barrier to entry learning curve and there's a fee. I'm just like, I'm just going to try to, I'm a bit of a tinkerer. So I just started figuring things out myself. So I eventually landed on a tool. Um, called Microsoft Power BI. Uh, BI stands for Business Intelligence, and all it does is really, it's a really snazzy way to make uh, visuals kind of automate. You just click a magic refresh button when it's like hooked up to a an Excel spreadsheet or a Google Google Sheet that you might share with a client. That's kind of my method. And so when I do that, there's a whole new world. Uh, this I would say. Knowing that Power BI existed was a behavioral cusp for me when it comes to the, the data and analysis, because then you can start really painting the picture of uh, uh, what, it, what, it, what it means to have all of your health and fitness data in one place. And that's the challenge with most health and fitness apps and data out there that they're all consumer products. So they're all want to make a buck, which is fine. That's they're in the business of doing that, but nothing talks to each other. So nothing is like centralized, right? It's like the data is all, you have, um, you have data on your iPhone, you have data in your MyFitnessPal app, you have data in your Apple Watch app, and you have data on your Fitbit or your Garmin. So it's all over the place. And so really thinking about the goal setting, it's like, how do we make sense of all this, all this information? How do we organize it one way? And so I just have my clients put it on one spread, shared spreadsheet. And then from there, we make beautiful, beautiful visuals and dashboards that we can then make, um, you know, we can have great conversations over and plus, you know, it's, it's, it's accountability two ways. When you have the data in front of you, you say, okay, client, we didn't meet our goal this week. What happened uh, this morning? I met with somebody Christmas happened calories were through the roof. Right. But what's the good thing to recognize is that, Hey, you still tracked on Christmas. Like who does that? Right. Who tracks our calories on Christmas? Like that's amazing. So the fact that you did that, there's always something to celebrate looking at the data. Um, but, uh, yeah, the becoming more efficient as a behavior analyst and having the data in front of me, I think is probably a undervalued, underused skill that, um, probably more people should be, um, incorporating into their, their day. Especially the visual side of it and making your learner aware of what that data actually looks like so they can see the mm-hmm. trend. I remember yeah. years ago when I was a teaching fellow at UNT, um, one of the extra credit articles we gave was like um, football players having a visual depiction of their data from like the mm-hmm. game before or something like that, or their weight training. And it was a yeah. real clean, easy read. Mm-hmm. And, and I enjoyed it because there was this huge shift that like, once the guys started seeing like, oh man, I can see, you know, the improvement here, here, and here, they started yeah. getting more invested in what they were doing. And yeah. it's, and it's really cool when your learner is able to grasp onto that. Um, mm-hmm. So 
I'm hoping that that's the response that you get when you show them the data is that they get as, as, as excited as you do. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Some folks they yeah like to see their progress and the tracking, especially if it's a if it's a weight loss line, like like to see the the weight loss line go down each week. Um, uh, one kind of neat, really kind of delayed outcome that I look at is resting heart rate. And so for clients that I've had for over like six to twelve months, we have a lot of exercise data that correlate with the resting heart rate, and we've seen in a couple cases that when you put the work in, if you monitor your resting heart rate and keep track of it, you'll see kind of a gradual shift down um, a little bit, meaning that your heart is more fit. And that's kind of cool to see, you know, and plus, you know, looking at data and playing with all the visuals, like it's always a, I'm always in the business of thinking about like, okay, I made this graph. Okay. It wasn't great, but let me show it to somebody, get some feedback and, um, you know, just, just learning that like, oh, this, this graph is good for this person. It's telling a story. Um, even the, the dashboard that I showed you, you know, Kelly beforehand, um, I was getting like iterative feedback from the coach at my gym. I was saying, okay, I came up with this look. I texted to him. He gave me the thumbs up on the on the tap back on the Apple Apple messages and said, I like that. This one was too confusing. And so all of this, like you're always attending to who's the audience. It's like this is a non-behavioral person, but he likes data and he gave it to me. He knew he knew this was my jam. And so I was like, okay, well, let's let's put my skills to the test and see how 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 uh, how in depth I could take it and just to see like what what he responds to, because he's the coach looking at me to make a graph for him that he's going to use as marketing collateral and um, give presentations to parents and things. So it's like me thinking about what he, what his vision is of like what, what data makes sense for his end user. So it's like a layer removed, if that makes sense. So it's really interesting to kind of play in that space. At the end of the day, you know, I'm still a behavior analyst looking at like, okay, we're looking at duration. We're looking at frequency counts. How can we tell the story better? That's all. That's all. That's all this is about. How can we tell the story of your health and fitness journey or exercise journey through a cool chart? And if you can, if you can get it within three seconds, then you've done your job. That's brilliant. And it makes me think of, um, there's a couple of books out there on science needs a story and like the, the why behind things. And yeah, that's why I like doing the podcast because we get to tell people's yeah. story and the science and the story of, That's of what we do. Yeah. The story, like a, an exercise graph that I have is that's a story of here's the goal, here's my feedback, and here's the goals that we set along the way. And, um, you know, we could put different conditions on there, like I was out of town or the pandemic happened. And he's like, this is, this is what success looks like. Here's what you, the likelihood of you meeting a goal looks like when everything's stable. But we know when things get messed up, then your exercise gets all jacked up too. So, you know, that's all it is. Just line graph telling a story. But it's so nice. And it's great mm -hmm. when, like I said, the, the three seconds, like I've always told, like you need to yeah. have at least three data points that should tell you something. Sure. Yeah. And the, the whole BI tool that I've been using, like I'm a bit of a creative person myself with all the, the, the you know, all the things that I like to make and you know, try to tell different stories that the tool is, you know, you can customize all the colors. There's hundreds of different visuals. There's once you get into the kind of the, the back end, there's a little bit of light coding in there. It's really easy to learn. Um, but once you just kind of chip away at it, you're just like, oh, I can move this over here and start using check marks instead of numbers. And um, right. You show this to a parent. I got 10 skills on the board. We did each month. They are mastered, you know, eight, eight out of 10 check mark months or whatever it is. It's like that. That's more, that's cooler than looking at a VB map uh, grid or something. I don't know. That's, 
not not the ding vv map that was just the first thing i've i've used it the most back in the day so yeah um, filling but yeah fillings. there's opportunity for enhancing our visual game i think I mean, because oftentimes our uh, verbal behavior can be a little bit off-putting. Um, as I've told people, I've been called pretentious more than once. Um, <laughs> and it was deserved because I was. Yeah. Um, and because we do have a, cool words, but also um, the language was around long before those words were there. So it can yeah. be a little bit obnoxious sometimes to throw right. some of that out there. And the same thing with looking at graphs. Um, I'm kind of thinking of the graphs that I've created over the years. And I'm like, oh man, yeah. Looking at the things that are possible now, yeah. probably would attract things a little bit differently then, um, or try to display yeah. them differently because just showing the parent, look, this is a cumulative line graph. Nifty. Mm -hmm. Woo. Yeah. That, okay, right. cool. They can tell me 10 different emotions. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the things that I, I was thinking about while, while you're talking was the the use of OBM um, and being able to understand the behavior analysis of a system, but not just mm -hmm. one system at a time. So you right. have the system between you and the owner of the location. They have a system between themselves and their athletes. And then right. there's an overlaying system, which includes everybody, which is right. the, there's going to be marketing, there's going to be feedback right. involved in presentations. And so I guess as you're planning things um what does that look like in your brain is my best way of asking that question <laughs> tell me what yeah. your brain looks like yeah i always think about these steps in the chain of the process that, that that don't happen in isolation right there's never like everything always has like an input or an output so i always think about like so we're thinking about the coach idea so i i my my secret uh my secret motive here is to challenge myself to try to make cool visuals to tell some unique data stories for the coach planting the seed there. So then he like shares it to parents, but then if he shares it with other gym owners or, you know, this gym owner here in my, the, the whole dissemination piece, right? So the feedback loops I'm trying to connect here, I'm just like, Hey, he may show this in a marketing on his website or something. I don't know two years from now and somebody could say like, Whoa, that's really cool. I like how you displayed that. I'm like, how'd you do this? Like, I didn't, I gave it to Nick. Nick's your guy. Like that's, that's what I want it to be. Like Nick's your guy. When it comes to how do you explain health and fitness data and outcomes in a meaningful way? And of course I'm going to secretly have my OBM behavior analysis hat on along the way. Be like, okay, we see the data. See like this. Can we, the coach here didn't change or maybe we could look at what's the coaching procedure. How do we, how can you know that's 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 kind of the big you know use the metaphor planting seeds because you just never know and of course the more you give i've kind of lived by that mantra too with uh, uh the more you give the more you receive kind of with the whole behavior fit because i have this whole um with was starting behavior fit was you know i was like i had this knowledge but i feel like if i you know why aren't people coming to ask me it's like well you're not sharing and people don't know to ask you so I've just found more success. If anybody's looking out there for a reason to create more material, right? Just like with you and this podcast, Kelly and the team, it's like the more you give and put out there, the more opportunities are going to come. So I think about it like that. So that's a whole nother set of contingencies, but getting back to the actual system, right? You think about, okay, I have health data with the clients. It's in three different locations. It's on their phone, it's in an app, and it's a new behavioral target that they've never tracked before. So I have to have a systematic way to put it on a spreadsheet, to plug into my app, then so then that feeds into my telehealth session, and then that might feed to 
uh, a social media post, a blog, depending on the outcome. And that's what it all, it all, it all feeds itself in a way. So like there'll be like one post or outcome that it could be a simple post. It may not get very much attention, but I know it took like two years to get that one chart. <laughs> and so you have to hang your head on that and, you know, enjoy the process, all those things. So, um, yeah, everything is connected. Hello, friends, and pardon the interruption. If you are listening for CEs, this is the first of your two keywords. Your first word is standing, S-T-A-N-D-I-N-G. Nick has done research on the benefits of working while standing. It's the ripple effect or the behavioral butterfly effect. Yeah. If you tweak one thing over here, what is the product going to end up over here? Um, So you're working a lot with gyms and working with athletes. And then you also mentioned like the coaching procedures that go along with these things. So Mm -hmm. um, I know it's not just you coaching the athletes, but you also coaching the coaches who coach the athletes. Um, so do you set goals with the, the coaches or anything like that? Or is it more direct, just one-on-one with you? Yeah, it's more direct one-on-one with me. So, you know, it'd be, you know, participative, uh, goal setting as well. It's like, okay, what do you want to do? Okay. I, I'm going to obviously steer the direction of the goals based on the baseline data and the general recommendations and what I learned in the assessment process, but we'll come together and, uh, uh set some goals together. You know, this morning, again, uh, we had a client. That I said, okay, we're going to meet our calorie goal, plus or minus 100 calories, two consecutive weeks. But she said, ah, I, you know, I met it the, the, the two weeks ago. I didn't meet it this week because of Christmas, but I'd like to just meet it this next week and then move on. I was like, sure, that works for me. So, you know, um, attending to listening, right? Listening is a big part of the coaching process. So um, working with a client on those goals together um, is where I kind of focus. No, it's fabulous. Um, and being able to, you know, understand your client well enough that when they want to make that kind of decision of like, I'm all done with this, let's move on and accepting. Yeah. So, which is a very yeah. tough thing at times. Yeah. And also earlier, I forgot to say that with the graphs, like some days you have to be attentive to as well. Like things might not go right for a client, like something that could have been sick, something, something odd could have happened. And so they had no progress or they didn't meet their goals or it was really kind of a bad week for them. Then I, I would say, out of four times I'd meet with somebody a month, like, you know, each week, I'll probably show graphs at least three out of four days, three out of four days, if not all days. But sometimes you have to listen to those pieces of just like, yeah, it's probably not going to be good to show up a graph showing you how much you did not do well this past week. So not showing the graphs is I think also important as, as far as maintaining a good, you know, coach athlete relationship. Yeah. It's, you don't want to shame somebody that's already struggling with something. I mean, the gym, yeah. and especially this is the end of the year. You've got New Year's resolutions. Um, I know I've been battling an injury and just life events. So it's yeah. been a struggle just to even make it on my mat some days. Right. It's like um, if I had to ask you, like, would it be good for me to show you, like, how much you, how many times you went to the gym this week, right? If you haven't gone very much, like, if you want zero, like, hey, guess what, Kelly? Just giving you feedback. You want zero times this week. That's probably not a good. <laughs> probably not a good look it does doesn't maintain our rapport very well yeah like feel it just talk about something else <laughs> yeah so applause to everybody right now that has been making it to the gym making it to your workouts and such you are all wonderful yeah. wonderful humans and if you haven't that's okay too it's okay mm-hmm. so. it's just uh everything's just 
thing about everything is a trend, right? It's like you could have could be injured for a while. What can you do? Um, there's the holidays that happens, but like if 48 out of 52 weeks are stellar, then don't be so bummed out about enjoying yourself so much during the holidays. Not a big deal. And resting is good. And that's actually something that, um, I've had to, in the past when I've done some coaching, tell people like, no, you need to take a day off. You cannot go seven days a week for multiple weeks on end. Your body will break down. Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to track the slowing down of things. And like you said, it, it affects your resting heart rate. Um, I've talked on some other people about learning to breathe again and just seeing how Mm -hmm. much calmer that makes everything. And when you're calmer, then you're able to actually focus better. And I think taking that feedback of, okay, things Mm -hmm. haven't been going great. What do I need to do now in order to change my behaviors? Do I need to give Nick a call and set something up or have I been taught the skills that I can now apply on my own? Which that kind of leads me um, to a question of, so we don't want to necessarily like in this case, there's usually something that you can continuously be working on, but are you also providing them? Like, I guess, are you teaching them how to do their own kind of self-management and data collection? Um, I know you're using apps and everything, but like, what does that process look like? Um, I mean, inherently, right. We're kind of leveraging some behavioral principles of self-monitoring and entering data on a spreadsheet, you know, coming into contact with here is my data. Here are my step data on my Apple Watch. Okay, what does that look like? Now I need to copy and paste and do that. Um, when we think about those pieces, uh, um, hang on, I lost my train of thought. Can you repeat the question? That's okay, because I think I don't <laughs> think I made it clear. Um, okay. I, I guess my question is like generalization skills. So let's look at that. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Do you ever retire your clients? Do you ever like, cause I know oh, for, okay. I know for us, like when working within the, in disabilities, um, and with, uh, adults, we often do discharge. That's kind of our goal is to get them to not need a plan anymore. Or I have taught your family, you know, they now think, what would Kelly do before something happens? Um, okay. so I've yeah, given yeah. them those tools. So like, what does that kind of relationship look like on the health and fitness side? Oh, sure. Yeah. So it's the same, same idea. So uh, as far as onboarding goes, I always talk about, we need to keep the end in mind as much as you and I may build a relationship together and we have a great time. We take lots of data and meet your fitness goals. I'm not going to be here forever. Right. Sad, sad statement, but it's just like, okay, what's it going to take to get you from A to B? And that's my job. Right. So, um, I use common behavioral terms like an acquisition phase higher intensity intervention. Then we go to a maintenance phase and we start fading my time out. As long as you can maintain your activities, you don't, you don't need anything new. And then you go to an independence phase where you are uh, maintaining some level of data collection in your activity. And then we check in less frequently and then, then you're on your own. So um, it's really, yeah, higher, higher dosage of uh, coaching treatment, if you will, on the front end. Then once you're successful, 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 and then, and then depending on whatever the monthly contract looks like, just the length of it, where we are in that phase, you know, a month out, I'll say, okay, we're coming up on this. Do we need to keep the same intensity? Do we, do we, you know, do we need to meet the same amount? Do we need to fade back? How are you feeling about things? And so it's always, you know, that's, it's always very clear on the front end when I work with somebody, it's, um, the goal is for me not to be here and for you to meet your goals without me. Yeah. To continue that, do you ever get that kind of recidivism where you're, they come back and they have to either work on the same goals again, or if they do come back, are they wanting to work on something new and learn some new skills or do people just not come back? <laughs> they just, they just fade away. Um, 
Yeah, I had a couple people where we thought we were going to fade out, but then we uh, stayed the, the same amount weekly meetings. So, um, so it was like something new, some new skills popped up that we wanted to work on. So, um, yeah. I was just curious because oftentimes, you know, mm-hmm. we might discharge somebody and then a few months later, something happens and they come back, um, mm-hmm. which then goes, ooh, I probably did not do enough parent training. So I was just curious if. Oh, I see. Yeah. Saw similar a little things. Bit, there's different contingencies as well because these are private play, paying cl- cl- bleh, private paying clients. So um, typically if we're meeting the goals and they're they're successful, then, right, then you have to do I want to go back full-time again coaching and pay the same amount or do I have enough skills to maintain? So um, a couple of times though, I, I have a good uh, friend and colleague that as an expert in a different uh, space, more in the nutrition area, I focus more on the exercise and activity. Um, and so I've referred out a couple of clients before where we've kind of, you know, looking at the data um, it's like, I've kind of got you as far as I can take you um, beyond me mastering a whole nother <laughs> skill set or domain. So um, just try to stay in my lane and say, okay, and identify even before our scheduled, you know, hey, we're, we're supposed to work through December, but really, you know, I think it's appropriate for me to, to say, hey, we need to refer you to a more, uh, a new set, a, a professional that can meet this new set of needs. So I've referred out uh, clients before. Oh, that's excellent. So who else do you, or, um, other professions, other individuals that you collaborate with. So it seems like gym owners and then personal clients, uh, nutritionists. Mm-hmm. Sure. So any, are there any other fields that you typically come in contact with? Mm, just those two right now. Okay. Um, yeah. And the gym owner piece, that's kind of uh, not anything official. It's more of like, Hey, we're just kind of work together to collaborate on a couple of things like this. So, um, but uh, that's kind of the, that's kind of the door I want to walk through. So it's like, okay, I think there's, I think there's some opportunity here. And, um, you know, that's where the whole dashboarding with evaluating the programs came from. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there because even in the, the coaching area and seminars that, um, we've all seen in the health and fitness space, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of instruction around like here are the movements. This is, this is how the muscles work. But, um, the, the, the job itself is a coaching is a, is a coaching job. So, um, there's plenty of opportunities, I think, to help coaches out there become better coaches. And even the, some of the, the certifications that I've researched, there'll be like a small nugget. I'm sure you've seen some of those Kelly, where it's like, Oh, here's, here's behavior change. And, you know, three pages, and this is how you can motivate your clients and carrots and sticks and blah, blah, blah. And now you're good to go. And back to, exercise physiology. So I'm going to give uh, Ace some props right now. Um, oh, really? Okay. Cause cool. that's, I got my CPT last year through Ace yeah. because it was a pandemic and I was sitting at right. home all day. What else are we going to do? Right. <laughs> sure. Um, and it was 50% off at the time. Um, but I was actually really impressed with their behavior section. They mm-hmm. had some really good um, examples and some good accurate yeah. definitions and descriptions of reinforcement and motivation. Oh. I was like, Oh, wonderful. Yes, this is, this, this is my jam. So mm-hmm. there are some good ones out there, but yeah, a lot of it is, yeah. which is a good question. You can't just throw a Skittle or a sticker at this. <laughs> yeah. um, and I know that when I was, especially when I was trying to do more heavy lifts and everything, seeing the weight change 
doesn't happen. Like I can't go from a, a 160 squat to a 165 in a couple of days. Like it's going to be a much lengthier progress. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so trying to and keep that motivation going and you, I mean, there needs to be some kind of reinforcers in there too, to keep it going. But what right. does that look like with your clients? I know it's very individualized, but mm-hmm. how do you maintain that contingency so that they do want to keep going? Yeah. So uh, I think I've, I've answered a similar question before. And so for me, in a telehealth situation or arrangement with private plan, paying clients that all have families and jobs and are successful individuals, I don't program the typical reinforcement, if you will. Like it's, it's like, a, it wouldn't make sense. Like I'm not going to show up at their house, withhold anything. I'm not going to show up and deliver something. That's, it's, it's more on the front end of thinking about what the preferences are. Think about the barriers and, and steering them in the way that they're able to contact the natural contingencies that will likely maintain their behavior, whatever those reinforcers are, but right? it's going to be something we just have to assume it depending on the data that we collect. So like the one client that's out in California, um, the one that she sampled a lot of gyms over a two month period, it took, that's how long it basically took us, but she finally came in contact with the contingencies of being in a group class again and getting back to like, she used to do um, uh, probably CrossFit, maybe like five years prior, but just hadn't done it in a while. And so she joined the class again. She's like, I don't know. I just need to go somewhere. I'm like, okay, well, so we went through it and we finally got through. And now she's, I think she's probably gone probably eight to 15 times now. Um you know, tracking back to December, but she came in contact. She's like, Oh yeah, I forgot how much I enjoyed back squatting. I was like, that's it. That's the thing. So then we got to hammer that in, talk about, right. Then talk about all the reinforcers associated with squatting and being in class. How did it feel? What did you miss? What worked? What didn't work? So, you know, engage in those conditioned, social, verbal reinforcers, if you will, of, okay, what did it feel like? What did the depth feel like? Okay. Are, are you close to your numbers? All those things, because, you know, when you're excited to do something, you're going to, you, you're going to want to talk about it. So, you know, it's just a general strategy. Like if you want somebody to like you, I think it goes for coaching and like you talk about the things they want to talk about. <laughs> Right. So, and then that's, you know, like, well, it will likely lead to them engaging in those behaviors again and again. So, um, that's how I, I don't program reinforcement. I'm always on the lookout for what natural contingencies that they're going to report to me as that matches with the data to figure out like, Oh, that looks like that's probably the reinforcer right there. I think that squatting one was like a perfect example that happened like a month ago. No, I agree. That was awesome. One good for her. Excellent. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And a good back squat. Mm, I miss mm-hmm. squatting anyway. But yeah. And I- even with, so just uh, to add related to my bias uh, uh, thing earlier was that like, so I've been a CrossFitter and Olympic fan of Olympic weightlifting for, for the past eight, nine years. And so I, even though that's what, what I do, I'm not going to just recommend that to everybody. If you want to do it, I'm all for it. I have a ton, a lot of experience, but I always have to check my bias. And so we just said that, of course, I got a little excited, but then it's really like, okay, you found this gym. Do you like it? Does it fit your schedule? Blah, blah, blah. I'll go through all the, the things that we need to talk about. But um, that's always important too. Like, I think sometimes this is, here's my soapbox statement that like, uh, I have a lot of experience and knowledge and research in the workplace wellness world, right? So workplace wellness programs, Right. Think about work or university settings. You have 
hey, it's going to be wellness month. And here's what we're going to do this week. It's going to be yoga and meditation. And we're going to eat healthy from a food truck and all these things. I'm like, workplace wellness should be probably a little more individualized because not everybody is going to be just for argument's sake, not everybody's going to be a granola hippie that loves yoga and all this, like some wellness for somebody else could be, and I love yoga. I love granola. I love meditation, but it's like, it just feels a little too much. Like this is the only way. And it's just like workplace wellness for somebody else could be like back squatting, dark colors and yelling in the parking lot. That could be their workplace wellness thing. So, and what's the functional outcome? That's what we need to be focused on. Are you happier at work if it's if it's in the workplace wellness kind of scope? So it's it I, digress. The, I digress. Oh no, no, it's funny because um every Wednesday the state sends out their wellness Wednesday email. And I just kind of giggle because it is. It's very it's it's too graphical. That's that is it. There's That's no the depth to it. Um mm-hmm. there's no skills that I can take into yeah. Thursday. I was trying to have a nice alliteration there, but nothing came up. Um Thirsty Thursdays. That's, that's the, what, that's the that's only, the only one. one I can think of. <laughs> like that doesn't work. We're all um, thinking it. I'll say it. Yeah, thank you. So, but yeah, it's, it's not, Hey, here's things to, you know, let's drink more water throughout the day. Um, so let's mm-hmm. set up some additional, you know, water stations or water stations. I feel like I'm on a race course. Um, but you know, providing water bottles to people that are reusable. So we don't have to keep mm-hmm. going to the machine and getting a new plastic one. And you know, with the food truck, yeah, it's a great idea, but what about having a full discussion or you know, changing the cafeteria food if there's something like that? Um, yeah. Or talking actually about why this food is better than the junk food we get in the machine kind of deal. Yeah. And programming those skills instead of just a one-shot activity. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take my my bias level uh, one step further. You can, you can call me crazy. You can challenge my thinking. You can say I'm absolutely wrong, but I just have this thought. All right. And any, anybody listening to the episode can email me and say, I'm, I'm crazy too that. Okay. So I talked about personal biases about right. Me liking certain weightlifting activities, biases related to vaccines and everything. Right. So what about this is kind of my first time kind of sharing this in a large format here is that all right. So I've kind of come to like this whole like exercise and sitting thing and meeting minutes, just working out, taking care of yourself in general. It really comes down to like risk management. So I'm at uh, I'm at a lower risk of heart disease and cancer if I exercise this much per week for most of my life. Right. But who are we to judge somebody so think about food. If I eat these foods better, it's probably correlated with better outcomes. That's really what it is, right? Everything's a bell curve. You read the public health studies that say most people that eat this type of diet or eat this type of food um, have better outcomes, right? But who are we to say, if I can make this coherent, like, are we judging on people's values of like health risks? So like with your Kelly, just to, uh, with your example of like, okay, you're teaching somebody this is healthier. Okay, if you eat broccoli and carrots, it's probably healthier than this uh, for these reasons for this bag of chips. But what if somebody doesn't really care about the health risks? Then would that change your education piece? Because then in a way, you're just like, well, I think these health risks are more important than your health risks. Oh, solid. It's a 
looking at long-term and short-term and out like benefits of it. So your preference is to educate people on here's the long-term benefits of eating carrot. I care about your longevity more than you do. Possibly. Even though is I- that a, is that something there? Maybe I'm crazy, I think- but I always think about that the next layer of like everything. I'm a little, you know, sometimes I get defensive when it comes to stuff. I'm just like, okay, you're putting this in my face. I need to meditate. It's, it's associated with less stress. That's associated with like better work, you know, health outcomes, yeah. or whatever. Just food for thought. <laughs> how much, how much are we like forcing ideas and preferences to people when we don't even ask like, Hey, health research says that if you do this, you'll live till 85. Does that seem like a good idea? Sure. Maybe I don't want to live till 85. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's that question, Let's but then, on. yeah. So, you know, I think we're kind of getting to an interesting conversation, but at the end of the day, it still comes down to what are the basic behavior principles for the person that is the, whose behavior is in question and the behavior change agent, the person who's educating the coach to it's, you know, I think we all, we all probably want to live a long life with the, the best quality, right? You have that piece too of like, you could you know, live 85 healthy years and have a heart attack and that would be it. But also you could live to 85, but you could be in a wheelchair from 75 to 85 and your quality of life starts deteriorating. So that's, that's a different question too. But um, when it comes to, you know, these larger programs and topographically based, you know, interventions, it just, I have a little pause sometimes when I see them because there's really not much focus on the back end functionally of like, okay, what does happiness and workplace wellness, what, what are the meaningful outcomes there? Because there isn't a lot in the data to support, you know, um, those types of unique kind of behavioral things that we might look at as behavior analysts, you know, mo- mostly everything is like productivity based and surveys. Hey, I like, I like my workplace better because they offer these things. But if you, Digging the data, it's going to be the, that demographic that likes yoga and granola and meditation and has flexible schedules and things like that. So, oh, it's such an interesting point um, that I I'm glad that you brought up because now I'm going to kind of look through these things a little bit differently now, a little different lens. Because um, yeah, you know what what are the measurable outcomes or the meaningful outcomes? That, that if we're trying to make these kind of changes in corporates, um, because I know a lot of the gyms that I've seen will advertise, oh, we offer a discount for your company or whatever. And if you need additional coaching, you know, come to us. I'm going, so what's, but also like you have your contingencies that are in place, which is you want to make money Mm -hmm. and, you know, market and everything. So it's important to have that conversation and to, like if you have employees that want to go down that road, cool beans, but yeah, why, why are we doing this? What's the actual purpose behind it? Is it really so that mm-hmm. we can check that box off that look, we have good yeah. health awareness or is it yeah, meaningful to the, to the individuals? That's a really good point. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's a lot of, it feels very checkboxy because you know, I don't, this is where my knowledge is a little limited, but I'm, on the business HR side, like there, there is a financial gain to be had. If you get more people participating in, wellness programs, you know, that this is what the wellness program folks would probably sell to the business. Then you say, Hey, if you have a thousand employees and we know that, you know, 40% will participate, then the likelihood that they will have, they will visit the doctor and get their shot and everything that's going to have an ROI on the business outcome and productivity can be measured like this, which is then just hours worked for like hourly workers. So it's really, it gets, it's very, 
you know, it's an organizational win, but at the individual level, you just like it, you, people get lost in the mix. Right. So, so it just made me feel like a dollar sign as you explained it. I was like, mm -hmm. Oh, I lost all my humanity right then. Yeah. I mean, I was at the university of Florida and I was in a lot of workplace uh, wellness themed like meetings and everything. I was part of the, the wellness committee there and, you know, nothing, all, all universities, all big companies, you know, participate in these activities where you say, okay, we're going to offer this incentive, this program. Okay. Um, it's, kind of peeling back the curtain, but it's not when you kind of stop and think about it. It's like, okay, we're going to offer uh, a $25 incentive for screening uh, to go get your blood sugar tested at this event. If we know we can get a thousand employees to that event, that and then of those thousand that test, we know that 50 of them are then going to be more likely to go to the doctor's office to get follow-up treatment. Okay. When we know they get to the treatment, right? There's the whole system here. Then you see, we're going to get five of those people to actually change their ways. And then this is going to save likely, you know, $300,000 in heart attacks and surgeries or something like that. That's, that's how it trickles down. It's just that it's largely a numbers game. And so when you start seeing like, Oh, these incentive programs are, then uh created you know you're, you're it's right this it's a, this is like behavior technology 101 you have incentives you have a threshold you know the magnitude of the reinforcer you get conditioned reinforcers in the form of points to cash in the more wellness events you participate in you get 100 points each month and then you collect those and you get a, a 50 dollars amazon gift card and so the more people play get people engaged in these activities Right. These are all, this is what wellness programs do. How do you engage more people to get them to, to get the points for insurance dollars? Right. So that's my basic understanding. Again, anybody feel free to comment or call me out on yeah. my inaccuracies, but that's, that's the, that's the long and short of it. There's really no mystery. That's really how I see it too, when it comes yeah. down to it, because yeah, it's just a numbers game. It, Cause it, nothing right. so far that we've, it, when you look at things, has it said like yeah. they engaged in exercise outside of work? They spent yeah. this much time standing at their desk versus sitting at their desk. It really is. Yeah. They didn't take sick days, which means that they mm -hmm. were at work. Right. Which at the same time, I'm going, it's good to take rest days. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, we can't, we are a very work focused culture. And there's a whole lot of cultures out there that show that it's okay to take breaks mm -hmm. and to, and to woosah. So, right. But at the end of the day, too, you're just happy that, you know, there are programs that exist that, uh, well, that, that companies uh, subscribe to that help, you know, these thousand people get tested that they otherwise wouldn't have been tested. So and have better awareness of their health risks and everything. And, you know, we can always be we can we can sleep easy at night knowing that, you know, more people are being helped because of that. But there's a lot of yeah, I think there's a lack of individualization and, you know, what it's, it's a time and resources issues, right? It's like, okay, we have, we have $50,000 to give in gift cards this month. So how are we going to distribute them in whatever point system? And so, you know, go, it's, it's a trade-off, right? It costs, it costs money to hire a behavior analyst to work with individuals, you know, in, in a high intensity treatment scenario. Yeah. I think that's something important that we all should just remember is like working with organizations, working with, um, groups and anyways, don't forget your individuals. Don't forget the actual humans that are involved and not right. get so caught up yeah. in the, the system. Um, so uh, 
looking for like time sake and everything, I had at least one more question for you. Mm-hmm. Two more questions. Sure. Just kidding. Yeah. Just two. Um, but one of them is, so what credentials do you have? Um, and what does that process look like for you? And if someone is interested in doing what you do or getting into the coaching health and wellness side of things, what do you recommend? Yeah. So my credentials, um, bachelor's degree, master's degree, PhD, um, passed the BCB exam some time ago, 2015, 13, yeah, 15, whenever I graduated master's program. So have that. Um, and then along the way, I, I just did some, a uh, couple certifications. I did a, uh, CrossFit coaching course as a weekend, uh, event, a two day event. So got go over the basics of movement and mobility and, and the CrossFit brand of, of activities. And then I, I, I took a, a movement mobility uh, course too, as a self-paced online course. That's probably about 20, 30 hours. So had those two, you know, certificates of completion there, um, very educational, good that gets into more, uh, how, how to move better generally when it comes to weightlifting, body weight movements, um, you know, working at your desk, being in better positions. So have those pieces. Um, but really, you know, I get this question sometimes like what certification should I get? And really it comes down to like, what, is there a skill set that you're lacking that you need to just get up to speed on and maybe you have no experience in? So I, you know, I worked in previous jobs. I did sales and marketing and things like that. And so I'm comfortable talking to people and coaching is that's a big part of it. It's like you're selling yourself and your service. And, um, you know, for, think about like what, how do you want to work with people? And so what skills do you need to help support that? If you want to build programs for people like a personal trainer does, you know, they're going to say, all right, uh, first 30 minutes, you're going to do a 20, 20 minute warm up doing this. And then for the next 10 minutes, you're going to go through a three by 10 back squat with a superset of a two by five preacher curl barbell at whatever weight. Like, obviously, I know how to do that, but I'm not as interested in doing that. And so if if you want to be a personal trainer that focuses on helping people bodybuild or do whatever, then think about how what certifications align with that. Um, if you want to get more in the nutrition space, I, I don't, um, I know I can teach and adhere to the general recommendations because they're available to us all. But if it comes down to, if you want to actually write people's nutrition programs and follow their macros and nutrients, then you find a certification that helps you with that skill. And there's a bunch out there. So, um, that's kind of where I, kind of place my, my limitations on my scope and where I practice and everything, but I feel comfortable with everything that I have kind of under my belt. If there, if there was another layer of me wanting to get into like more programming and being specific, I just kind of draw from my own experience. I'm, I'm comfortable with that and I've been successful as the, as the data show. Um, Cause the data is a two way street, right? It's, it's, it's not only the coaches or it's not only the client success, but it's the coach's success too. So um, those are the kind of, that's my general, um, that's my, my certification background there. All right, friends, here's the second of your two key words. The second word is story, S-T-O-R-Y. Our data needs to tell a story. I dig. Um, in our conversation that we had several years ago when I was going through crisis number one, I believe oh, yeah. that's the same advice you gave me and our recommendations. I did. All right. Consistency. Yeah. Boring, yes. right? No, because I was angry. Then, the wrong I, wanted, okay. I wanted you to tell me yes or no. Oh, right. I didn't want to have to yeah. think. 
Um, yeah. Well, that, that's the whole point of my coaching process. Like, I don't know what you want to do. You have to decide that for yourself. God. And we got there. It just it took takes me a little time. bit longer. You did it. So do you feel better equipped now that you took the course? I do. I realized I had forgotten about a lot of anatomy and physiology from um, school days. Yeah. So yeah, but like all the programming and behavior stuff was pretty, pretty solid. And like I said, Ace had a, a good breakdown of mm-hmm. behaviors that I liked and they were also self-paced, which makes me happy because yeah. I can go back and review things as needed. Um, yeah. But I, I like the way that you worded that too, because I know one of my questions when I first came to you was I, I, I felt like I had to have the certification um, because in our field, yeah. if you want to work with individual disabilities or you know, special needs or anything like that, that you have to have your BCBA. Mm-hmm. And so looking at the rest of the world that doesn't conform to that kind of rigidity, um, it was, yeah. it's very freeing to hear that, oh yeah, if I'm interested in this, All I right. can go and pursue that. Um, and if I want to play around in other things, I can go and pursue those issues or those options and certificates as well. But I also know that behavior analytically, since it's a science, I can apply it to a variety of things. So I don't have to feel tethered to, well, I have to, you know, maintain it this only little space. Like I can yeah. learn. And like you said, when it's general knowledge, then yeah, we can talk about in behavior analytic principles. Um, there's yeah. a lot of cool things that we can discuss from that cultural, social behavior side of things. Um, but that's mm-hmm. podcasts and podcasts. So yeah. we'll have episodes on that. Yeah. The you, Yeah. So I, I, was, I, had, I was thinking of a story here that I presented, I was invited to speak at the, the Missouri ABA conference in November, November of 21. And so I spoke there and actually uh, Sung Wu Kong, he's the current uh, big, big wig. Uh, he's the head of the, the board now. Um, he, he goes to all the events now. Uh, but I was just having a conversation with him over speaker dinner and we just talked a little bit, but, you know, got to know each other. I'd actually never met him before, but being UF uh, grads and everything we had similar, you know, similar networks. So we we're just chit chatting and we got to the point of the, the BACB and the, the certification. I was like, largely for what I do, it's like the BCBA, that's an insurance credential. It doesn't tell, you know, for me, it's, it's not, it's a marketing tool. Um, having my credentials. If I meet people outside the field, if they ask me about, it, you know, I can tell them. I can share that information. But um, largely, so this is the this is the this is the aha moment, I guess, maybe for people that are interested in doing anything outside of the autism space. Is like you don't need a certification to go do those things. You can you need the relevant experience. You need to be an expert in the behavioral principles, and that's that's my preferred tool to help people uh, meet their goals. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, people ask me like, Hey, will you supervise, you know, get some hours, um, how, you know, can you supervise me in health and fitness? And I've thought about it before I've actually completed the supervisor, the supervisor course, but it's difficult because you're kind of playing a game that doesn't really have an end that makes sense for you. And what I mean by that is I'm going to go get a, a thousand hours that I can't really get anyway, because you'd have to have you'd have to basically work in a gym or hospital setting where you have 30 to 40 patients that you can get hours. Then you go take a test in a field, you know, for a field or outcome that isn't supported by, or that doesn't support financially the credential that you're sitting for. So it's a, it's a weird tangent, if that makes sense. So it's really like, you just have to get out there and get it, get relevant experience and, you know, coaching certifications help you do that. Um, but really you just have to, be a little bit of a go-getter like you know you and I have and just go figure out how to work with people learn to work with the humans learn to listen yeah. to the humans 
Right. Um, They will tell you a lot. And I think that is important to remind people that we're behavior analysts. So when someone asks, oh, what do you do? Like, I don't say that I'm a BCBA because then I have to go through, I'm a board certified behavior. I just, I'm a behavior analyst. Um, I have the BCBA because that's the way that I get paid. Right. That's right. So other than, but yeah, I use my behavior analytic principles when I was coaching at the gym and I use it with animal training and all of those things. It's just a matter of tailoring it to your, to your organism, if you will. Yeah. Actually I have, let me look around here. I have a, uh, we were joking. I was looking up Sung Woo's title here. He's, he's the president board of the directors at the BACB. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Great, great guy. Cool. Fun to talk to. So really, um, I think with that, I, I feel like we've tapped on a lot of information. Um, I know there's a couple of things that I would love to dig deeper into, especially the data as a two-way street, but I feel like that's mm-hmm. for a, a later discussion. Sure. Um, yeah. We can get some other people involved on that one too. Mm-hmm. But before we jump off, um, could you plug where you're at social media wise, uh, sure. plug your website again Thank and you. all that? Yeah. You can find me at www.behaviorfit.com, all one word, B. E-H-A-V-I-O-R-F-I-T.com. And so I'm mostly active on Instagram. So you find me there at Behavior Fit. And then things repost to Twitter and Facebook. Um, and you can email me, Nick, at BehaviorFit.com with any questions or ideas about anything we talked about. Um, and that's it. Awesome. And we will have all of your links and everything and resources that we've talked about um, on the site when this goes live. So uh, thank you all so much for listening to this fantastic episode. Um, I hope you guys have gotten as much out of it as I did. And thank you, Nick, for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you guys later and goodbye. Thank you for listening to this adventure of the Atypical Behavior Analyst. Check out the website, atypicalba.com, for more episodes, references, and to purchase CEUs. To stay up to date, like and follow us on social media. Just search Atypical Behavior Analyst. If you like the show, please rate and leave us a review. And if you want to support the show but don't need CEUs, you can help by clicking the Buy Us a Coffee link in the show notes. So until next time, listeners, grab your towel, keep exploring, and we'll see you in the fringes. Well, hello there, listeners. Thanks for sticking around. Here's your sneak listen into episode 23 coming out in a couple of weeks. Enjoy. Not seeking reinforcement and hedonia, as they call it, uh, being a bummer. Um, Not talking about fun things, not doing fun things, low rates of behavior in general, which all correlate with aggression, right? A lot of sad emotion also correlate with aggression. I mean, with, uh, I'm sorry, depression. And, uh, we could start looking at those things instead of saying because a lot of times it's saying like well he's still punching people is are you giving meds for punching or for depression <laughs>